Bowls clogged. Take it easy. Take it easy. Don't let the sound of your lungs drive you crazy. Don't let your own fucking laziness to not clean a goddamn bowl drive you crazy. Should have cleaned this bitch weeks ago. I've got a little piece of weed stem here though that I'm gonna push push down in it and momentarily fix it. But I need to stop. <laughs> I need to stop half-assing shit. How is everybody, y'all? Lady Beck's here. Today I've got something really special for you guys, at least in my opinion. Well, let's see if this works better. Oh, yeah. Good morning. I am going to read you all a story on this episode of the Spooky Wood Podcast. Lady Beck's here. Appalachian occultist, musician, writer, visionary, dreamer. Love maker. My AP literature teacher, uh, teacher, Miss Man, if you're listening to this, I just want to let you know that you came into my life at a very scary time, a very important time, and gifted me exposure to many writers that absolutely changed my life, and they changed my life by. Helping me not feel so goddamn crazy. <laughs> um, those of you who have kept up with me over the years know that I really am just an emotional person. Um, and I've been doing better about keeping my emotions in check. But I just have a love in my heart, I think, that offers me a unique perspective in this world. And that I really do see so much art here. I see, you know, with this thing called consciousness that can so often bring us suffering and yet heal us at the same time. And that's just the most bizarre thing in my mind, you know, how we can live and die. And I guess I'd just go to some existential depths with it maybe, but being able to go to this place in my mind is what has offered me that place of reverence that I feel like maybe sometimes... People wish that they could have, but, you know, to that I say, well, there's suffering that comes with it. Because when you expose yourself to knowledge, you don't just expose yourself to good knowledge. You expose yourself to every thought, every idea, every possibility, every reason. You know, if it's a part of this realm, all things considered. And so as much as I found myself... Loving fantasy and mermaids and, you know, I'm, I'm a writer myself. I love, I journal a lot. I mostly just journal. I mostly just write beautiful words. I really like telling stories, I've found. I've been trying to develop my storytelling skills because sometimes I have a hard time art articulating myself. And so now that I'm making it more of this craft of storytelling, that's helped me um, 
because I, I love to be performative. So that helps me to organize my thoughts a little more. And so, yeah, I've always just really enjoyed other artists who are able to do the same. I enjoy artists who can take me to their pain, but leave me with a dream, you know, leave me with hope, leave me with thought. And so with that being said, this is one of my all-time favorite short stories. I'm going to take a little sip of my, I'm drinking a Waterloo sparkling water, strawberry. Usually I get the strawberry, um, Perrier's, is that how, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, Perrier's, those are, those are really good, and the bubbles aren't too much in those, um, but this sparkling water is just like fucking suds, but it's, it's alright. Ew, that was the old one, fuck. This is the new one, fuck, yuck, gross, ew, this is why I need to throw trash away. There's only one on the table, though, so please don't judge me. Um, mm. Okay, okay. Wait, let me hit my bowl again. Just one more time. Virginia Woolf, The Death of the Moth, 1942. Moths that fly by day are not properly to be called moths. They do not excite that pleasant sense of dark autumn nights and ivy blossom, which the commonest yellow underwing asleep in the window of the curtain never fails to rouse in us. They are hybrid creatures, neither gay like butterflies, nor somber like their own species. Nevertheless, the present specimen, with his narrow hay-colored wings fringed with a tassel of the same color, seemed to be content with life. It was a pleasant morning, mid-September, mild, benignant, yet with a keener breath than that of the summer months. The plow was already scoring the field opposite the window where the share had been. The earth was pressed flat and gleamed with moisture. Such vigor came rolling in from the fields and down beyond that it was difficult to keep the eyes strictly turned upon the book. And the rooks, too, were keeping one of their annual festivities, soaring around the treetops until it looked as if a vast net with thousands of black knots in it had been cast up into the air, which, after a few moments, sank slowly down upon the trees until every twig seemed to have a knot at the end of it. And then suddenly, the net would be thrown into the air again, in a wider circle this time, with the utmost clamor and vociferation, as though to be thrown into the air and settle down slowly upon the treetops were a tremendously exciting experience. And the same energy which inspired the rooks, the plowmen, the horses, and even, it seemed, the lean bareback downs sent the moth fluttering from side to side of the square of the window pane. One could not help watching him. One was, indeed, cautious of a queer feeling of pity for him. 
The possibilities of pleasure seemed that morning so enormous and so various that to have only a moth's part in life, and a day moth's at that, appeared a hard fate, and his zest in enjoying his meager opportunities to the full, pathetic. He flew vigorously to one corner of his compartment and, after waiting there a second, flew across to the other. What remained for him but to fly to a third corner and then to a fourth? And that was all he could do, in spite of the size of the downs, the width of the sky, and the far-off smoke of houses, and the romantic voice now and then of a steamer out at sea. What he could do, he did. Watching him seemed as if a fiber, very thin but pure, of the enormous energy of the world had been thrust into his frail and diminutive body. As often as he crossed the pane, I could fancy that a thread of vital light became visible. He was little or nothing but life. And yet because he was so small and so simple a form of the energy that was rolling in at the open window and driving its way through so many narrow and intricate corridors in my own brain, and in those of other human beings, there was something marvelous as well as pathetic about him. It was as if somebody had taken a tiny bead of pure life and decking it as lightly as possible with down and feathers, had set it dancing and zigzagging to show us the true nature of life. Thus displayed one could not get over the strangeness of it. One is apt to forget all about life, seeing it humped and bossed and garnished and cumbered so that it has to move with the greatest circumspection and dignity. Again, the thought of all that life might have been had he been born in any other shape caused one to view his simple activities with a kind of pity. After a time, Tired by his dancing, apparently, he settled on the window ledge in the sun, and the queer spectacle being at the end, I forgot about him. Then looking up, my eye was caught by him. He was trying to resume his dancing, but seemed either so stiff or so awkward that he could only flutter to the bottom of the window pane. And when he tried to fly across it, he failed. Being intent on other matters, I watched these futile attempts for a time without thinking, unconsciously waiting for him to resume his flight, as one waits for a machine that has stopped momentarily to start again without considering the reason of its failure. After perhaps a seventh attempt, he slipped from the window ledge and fell, fluttering his wings onto his back on the window sill. The helplessness of his attitude roused me. It flashed upon me that he was in difficulties, he could no longer raise himself. His legs struggled vainly. But as I stretched out a pencil, meaning to help him to right himself, it came over me that the failure and awkwardness were the approach of death. I laid the pencil down again. The legs agitated themselves once more. I looked as if for the enemy against which he struggled. I looked out of doors. What had happened there? 
Presumably it was midday and work in the fields had stopped. Stillness and quiet had replaced the previous animation. The birds had taken themselves off to feed in the brooks. And the horses stood still. And yet the power was there all the same. Massed outside. Indifferent. Impersonal, not attending to anything in particular. Somehow it was opposed to the little hay-colored moth. It was useless to try to do anything. One could only watch the extraordinary efforts made by those tiny legs against an oncoming doom which could, had it chosen, have submerged an entire city. Not merely a city, but masses of human beings. Nothing I knew had a chance against death. Any chance. Nevertheless, after a pause of exhaustion, the legs fluttered again. It was superb. This last protest, and so frantic, that he succeeded at last in riding himself. One's sympathies, of course, were all on the side of life. Also, when there was nobody to care or to know, this gigantic effort on the part of an insignificant little moth against a power of such magnitude to retain what no one else valued or desired to keep moved one strangely. Again, somehow, one saw life, a pure bead. I lifted the pencil again, useless though I knew it to be. But even as I did so, the unmistakable tokens of death showed themselves. The body relaxed and instantly grew stiff. The struggle was over. The insignificant little creature now knew death. As I looked at the dead moth, this minute wayside triumph of so great a force over so mean an antagonist filled me with wonder. Just as life had been strange a few minutes before, so death was now as strange. The moth, having righted himself, now lay most decently and uncomplainingly composed. Oh yes, he seemed to say, death is stronger than I am. <laughs>